Welcome to another episode of GraphQL Radio. Today we are continuing our Building in Public series. I'm joined by four of my colleagues from Stellate to take you on the journey of how our latest Cache Like I'm 5 release came to be. This was a really fun process and the experience really gets to the essence of why people like to work at early stage startups. This team working on Cache Like I'm 5 had such a dramatic impact on the product in such a short amount of time. It's really been amazing to see. Before we begin, let's start with a round of introductions. Victor, you've been the project lead of Cash Like I'm 5, so perhaps you can start us off. Yeah, sure. So, hey everyone, I'm Victor. I'm from Venezuela, but I'm living in Mexico, in Guadalajara specifically. I'm a front-end engineer at Stellet. I'm, I'm, I'm the project lead in Fortis project. How about you, Camille? You were also part of the project very early on. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Camille. I'm product designer, the only product designer at Stellet, originally and currently still in Poland. And yeah, I spent most, most of my past life in uh, other SaaS B2B startups. How about you, Bogdan? Yep. Hey, I'm Bogdan, a front-end engineer at Stellate, uh, based in Bucharest, Romania, and uh, previously a Dreamweaver Ninja. <laughs> Very nice. Over to you, Alex. Hey, I'm Alex. I'm product manager. I joined the, the project very late. Um, I get to see like it's all getting all over the finish line, which is very excited. Very nice. And I believe you're in Austria. I am in Austria, yeah. And, and so uh, I might be able to hear from my accent. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not Arnold. <laughs> no. I'm Alex, just to reconfirm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I'm Andreas Heiberg. I'm, uh, I'm from Denmark and I'm currently sitting in Denmark and I'm the engineering manager at Stellate. So I was in some way part of this, but not in a large part. Uh, just wonderful to see the team make this happen. All right, so the origins of Cash Like I'm 5, it's a wonderful name. Victor, you were kind of there from the get-go. Do you want to tell us a bit about how it all came to be? Yeah, yeah. we actually wrote a, wrote a blog post about this recently, and it's a similar story, right? Like, we were in Mexico City for an engineering offset, like, roughly three months ago now. We were just sitting down in the living room of, our, uh, of a large Airbnb, just talking about caching, right? Like, a, yeah, like, a, how our customers are using caching, the cash hit rate they have. And, you know, we were thinking, like, how do we make customers more successful, right? Like uh, maybe some customers have a cash hit rate of 99% or 80%, they're already pretty successful, right? Because they are preventing 80% of their traffic to go through their backend. Now, how do we make customers that have like 20% or 30% cash hit rate more successful? How do we help them increase their cash hit rate? And we went to, to the dashboard and we realized like we were not offering enough information to provide people with the insights they need to actually improve their cash hit rate. And if you think about it, Stellet is kind of like, it's like, it's a proxy. So we actually know most of the traffic that ends up going to our customer services. So we can actually do some smart stuff and analyze traffic and, you know, see traffic patterns and all of that. So that's what we did. Like uh, we sat down, we started to like map out the potential ideas that we can do. At some point, someone came with the name, which is the, which, with the internal product name, which is Cash Like and Five, which is a great name. I love it. <laughs> At some point also, Camille, you said to me like, this is not cash like I'm five. This is cash like I'm 30. And I would agree, yeah. <laughs> Explaining cash to a five-year-old would be very complicated, like especially graphical caching. But yeah, that's how it all started. And since that moment, we you know, started ideating, working closely with, with product and engineering, seeing what was possible, what's not. We did a, a few possible spikes. I think the most impactful thing at the beginning was playing out with the metrics because we wanted to offer new metrics. Like, how do we show people, okay, so this is your current cash hit rate and this is how far can you go? And we came up with a new metric called maximum cash hit rate. 
which is essentially taking all of your traffic patterns into account and telling you based on your traffic patterns, this is the maximum percentage that you can get. Because in the real world, it's impossible, it's in most scenarios, it's impossible to get to 100% cache hit rate. You know, because you have different, if you have a GraphQL query, you have things like inputs and in, in a real world API rules of authentication, right? So you don't want to have a cache leak, like you don't want to be showing the same cache data to user A and user B because they might have different things behind authentication that are critical that, you know, if you're showing them, that's like a security issue. Essentially, we sat down, we did all, all the math, and then we came up with this maximum cache rate definition that will give you a number below 100% in most scenarios that is a realistic, a realistic percentage that will tell you how far can you go. Nice. Thank you, Victor. It's really cool, Victor. Thank you for that overview. One of the things I found really fun was you and, and Michael. You were just kind of spitballing because we were sitting with the, the CEO and the CEO was like, you know what I want? I want to be able to tell people what their maximum potential cash rate rate is. And we're like, that is impossible. I don't know how we're going to do that. That doesn't seem yeah. likely. But then somehow <laughs> at the end of the day, you released that into production. Or yeah. something that led us down that path. Tell me something about that. Yeah, that was funny because, uh, you know, and you mentioned the beginning of the product and that was some interesting times because the beginning was like, yeah, let's make caching better. And that's really vague, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, we didn't have a clear goal at the beginning. We didn't know what we wanted to do. It was also like a lot of product work into like defining what we wanted to do, talking with users, exploring opportunities, doing a lot of product and design work at the beginning. And yeah, <laughs> that was a fun day when we shipped the Max Cache Review because it exactly started like that. Like, we were like, how the hell are we going to calculate this metric? How do we actually do it? How do we make it happen? It sounds impossible, right? But yeah, somehow we came up with a SQL query in a day and shipped it to production. <laughs> that was a, you know, startup life, yeah. Pretty much. That's awesome. One of the things I remember early on was uh, Camille was doing all these design iterations. I guess for context, early on we were exploring things and we realized actually there are some services out there that while we have a GraphQL proxy, they put a lot of non-GraphQL traffic through it, right? And so we were kind of like, well, this is a bit frustrating. We want to filter that out so we could just focus on the GraphQL metrics. And so we came up with this non-cacheable concept. And I remember Camille just spitting through hundreds of uh, iterations. Camille, how do you remember that experience? Like a blur now, like so many of those that I went through. It's not only the not only the, the fact of non-cacheable, but we, we also have a lot of fun trying to come up with an idea for the max cache rate, because we went through theoretical max cache rate, cacheable requests, cacheable traffic, non-cacheable traffic, uh, overall cache rate, like there were so many of them. But eventually we landed on something that resonated so well with like the, the, the max cache rate. That's like pretty simple to explain, uh, pretty simple to play with uh, the acronym of cache rate. But yeah, there was also a lot of fun with trying to come up how to break down the requests, especially with services that were such a big surprise that we, you could see an order of 2 million per day requests that are non-GraphQL passing through the uh, Stellate, which is a GraphQL service, a GraphQL product. And yeah, that was kind of mind-boggling because some, in some cases it could be 80% of the traffic that you, you're sending to a GraphQL caching product that is not a GraphQL query, which was kind of odd thing to deal with. You don't expect that. That was a surprising thing for everyone. But yeah, we eventually managed to find a way that makes sense. And we also make it clear that you are actually sending us a lot of stuff that you probably shouldn't be sending us. And we also had a lot of fun with identifying what actually was supposed to be counted as cacheable or not. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, I guess, hard to remember all these things, like, in retrospect. I just recall looking at the Figma and being impressed by, like, the tens of different iterations of, like, oh, here's what was a cache hit, here is what was a cache miss. And then there was these other categories that we came up with, like, various different ways of breaking that down and thinking about it. Also, UI iterations on how we should display that, allow people to toggle in and so on. It's a very fascinating experience to see you kind of work through all that. Something interesting there is that, you know, in this product where we were doing things like kind of for the first time in the industry, right? Because GraphQL caching is kind of like a new concept, like GraphQL is not at all, right? And now GraphQL edge caching, it's also a newer concept as well, right? We're one of the first companies trying to do this and figuring things out. So we were actually doing fears for the first time and trying to figure things out, like, you know, getting deep into the weeds and like figuring out, okay, what's the right name for this? What's the right name for this? How do we call this thing? Because it's a, these are like new concepts that we're introducing. So we actually got into this conversation multiple times during the product. And it was one of the most difficult challenges, right? Like dealing with new concepts, creating new things out of nowhere and trying to put the right name to things to make it easier to explain to our users. Yeah. I also remember you, Victor, you started implementing it and you're just like, nope, <laughs> this does not yeah. work. <laughs> it seemed great on paper, but it does not work. What was that about? Yeah, like I, I think it was, that happened specifically with the cacheable versus non-cacheable data. Essentially, we were trying to split our data into like what can be cached and what cannot be cached. And this is really important when you're talking about caching opportunities and max cache rate. Because for, as Camille said, if we, get, if we get a request that is a non-GraphQL request, that's a non-cacheable request because we are a GraphQL caching service, so we only want to cache GraphQL traffic. So actually making that definition and making that split, like for example, mutations are never going to be cached because they are like a operating on data, so it doesn't make sense to cache those. Errors are actually also never cached. So there's like a, a few other definition uh, things that go into this definition, but essentially it was about like we were implementing this view with cacheable versus non-cacheable data, and we quickly realized it didn't make sense. So we went back to the table, ideation, and Camille did a lot of work here. Like Camille actually did a, put a lot of work ideating a lot of variations and came up with one that we actually ended up using and it's live now. That's awesome. And uh, Bogdan, you were a, a late joiner to this project, but you did one of the most amazing contributions, which is hard to imagine didn't exist before we started this project. We are a GraphQL caching product that has a metrics product, and that metrics product did not have anything specific about caching. <laughs> and uh, as part of this project, you helped uh, create the, the caching dashboard, which gives you a lot of information. How's it been working on this project? Yeah, I mean, even though I joined pretty late, I've been, I think I've been well integrated in the team. Everyone was really welcoming. And yeah, tackling the, the caching page, like you mentioned, it's, it's mind boggling that we didn't have that before. And it brings such a great value to our users. Yeah. Seeing the charts over time, how your chart, how your cache hit rate uh, evolves over time. Also seeing the caching improvement opportunities. We have this cool table below the chart where you can see basically the most important operations uh, that you can cache. You also see the, the impact. I don't know, think Victor mentioned this, but one thing that uh, he had a great idea working on was this impact where it basically says, hey, you have this operation and if you max it out to the max cache hit rate, it will improve the overall cache hit rate with this amount. And I think it's such a great indicator to have. We also, in that page, we also have the uncached bandwidth, which is really important for bigger customers to see how much of the traffic we, we save them in resources and, and cost. 
Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, as, as you said, it's hard to imagine not having it now that we have it. But when we started off on this project, it wasn't even on the list of possible solutions, which I find so wonderful. You know, sometimes you just got to start, just iterate, learn while you go, and then you end up in a beautiful place. You kind of touched on the, the bandwidth charts, right? I think that was one of those funny user interactions where we're asking for feedback on, on one of the releases. And then that came, came up as a response. Do either of you guys remember what that what I'm referring to? I mean, I remember one of our users being really happy about that. And we were like, what? Because essentially, like on the caching page, we have the cache hit rate over time chart. And then we have the cache bandwidth chart, which shows you how much of your traffic is actually being cached, of your traffic bandwidth is being cached versus what's not. And then we were showing a few of our customers the designs for these and early concepts and getting feedback. And we didn't expect that much from the cash bandwidth because we thought the main focus was the cash rate over time. And then one of our customers was like, okay, this is great, sure, but the cash bandwidth, that's amazing. I didn't know I wanted that and now I want it. You know, and that was an amazing reaction. Yeah, it's really fun. I guess that shows the value of talking to customers early and often, right? Were there any kind of fun interactions with customers during this project? I feel like this is one of the projects where we had the most customer input. Yeah, I think Alex also might have a good idea on that. He was talking a lot with customers to do a lot of work here. So basically, I think they're rolling the, the features or the different the different features out. Like we did a very like iterative approach of like rolling things out, and as we were doing that, we were informing customers about the changes. And you know, it was great to see like either we do this like we have like some um, Slack channels with customers where we like have like, really high bandwidth conversations with them, and it's great to use these to like you know we give we, we talk about like a new rollout, a new feature, and then get back like okay, this is how I use. It, this is how it helped me now i understand how this works it immediately helped me seeing like this operation can be improved and they brought that operation to the team to discuss like okay how might we be able to do that and that's it's great to see like basically that all that work that you did at one point you give it to customers and they can do something with it right the, the intent behind it came true and we were able to like give them the tools and give them the visibility to like take that what we show them and go back to the teams and then say like, yes how can we improve this how can we get this in the cash rate with this operation increased so that overall like we catch more traffic we can save on more cost and i think that's like just very gratifying to see and be able to like actually help customers and, and get the feedback back always fun and, and good good to hear yeah that's really cool I guess this is also the first project that I have worked on. I th well, yeah, at least at Stellate, which doesn't say much. It's only been <laughs> six or seven months, but it's my first project at Stellate where we had people tweet and LinkedIn or post on LinkedIn about stuff, right? Which I thought was really awesome to see, you know? Not only are they in private, like, yeah, this is really cool, but they they took it to the next level and actually told other people about it without being prompted. I think that was, that was a really cool moment for me. How did that feel to you guys doing the actual work? It felt great and like a lot of validation to be honest. Like when we st first started working on this product, there was like a lot of, uh, it wasn't clear what we wanted to do. Like it, there was like a lot of opportunities. Like I remember at the beginning team or CTO showed us this like opportunity solution tree. We had a lot of product ideas and feedback. And it was huge, like a lot of little cards in like a in a mirror dashboard. So we were like, okay, what do we actually do, right? And then from that moment until now, where customers are actually like praising our work and giving us feedback, it feels great. Like we actually, you know, I think we chose at least some of the right things to work on or focus on because a startup that's one of the hardest things. Like, how do you choose the right thing to work on? Because you can spend three months working on something and at the end it doesn't work. Nobody uses it. You know, you just waste it three times or maybe not waste it. But you learn something and you have to iterate and go to the next thing. So yeah, it felt great that, you know, we were getting actually some feedback and positive feedback and people were happy about it. So yeah, it, it was a great feeling at the end. For me that, oh, go ahead, Kamal. 
Yeah, I was going to say like no question, get great feeling, but I didn't want to connect uh, the dots with what Victor said about the early days because the early days were quite funny for me. I remember I wasn't part of the first uh, kickoff calls and I just listened them um, to them in the afterwards. And it was so I, I came I came out of listening to those calls with like six or seven tickets, just design tickets, which included basically like okay, we're just gonna have to redesign everything because like everything is broken. Like this doesn't have that the errors are not presented in the right way. There's no caching information about about the operations and we don't know what the rules are really doing here. So yeah, the early days were quite yeah, fluid to put it this way. <laughs> quite fluid but it was a good feeling that we managed to from this fluidity like uh, random ideas like um, so many different opportunities on tables we managed to to come out of the project with so many improvements to the platform as a whole and that felt great like even if this was wouldn't be shared publicly it would still feel like tremendously great effort on our side yeah those early days were the most difficult parts of this project you know it's quite an ambitious task you know like help customers cash better but it's so vague right and, and this opportunity tree that we had i think perhaps it's hard to imagine what that looks like you know listening in not knowing the internals but there were like i don't know 50 maybe like solutions in that space like there was a lot of different things that we could do and how do you triage that how do you think about what's the most important and funny enough a lot of the things that we ended up doing were not even on that tree right <laughs> and so yeah, this uh, decision paralysis was a bit frustrating and we we're trying to think hard and carefully about how do we best spend our time? What is the most valuable thing to do, right? And in the end, what worked beautifully was just, hey, let's stop thinking. Let's start doing some of the things that feel awesome, intuitive and natural to us. And so Victor just started fixing various different errors. And as we we're going through this process of just cleaning things up, things got a lot clearer, right? But yeah, that certainly for me as well was the, was the toughest part of this project. I guess speaking about hard things, last week we had an incident also, which kind of related to this feature. How about that? I guess this was maybe one of the tough moments as well of this project. Yeah, so, so everyone, everyone listening to Picture T is like, I'm a front-end engineer, Bogdan is also a front-end engineer, right? So we were like both front-end engineers working on these, like the front-end parts, like the charts and the, you know, styling things. Yeah, easy there, you know, we're front-end engineers, we can do that. But then we had a lot of challenges and this project required like a lot of back-end work as well. And like, not just adding a new GraphQL filter or API or things like that, but actually like getting deep into the metrics. Like we store a lot of data in a ClickHouse database and we, we actually get a lot of traffic nowadays. It's like a, I think mo at the moment, monthly, we're getting like 30 billion requests or something. So a lot of traffic daily. So when we are calculating metrics or analytics for a dashboard, it's like a lot of data that we're handling. So, you know, these queries have to be fast and we have to optimize those queries. So yeah, during the product, I think both Bogdan and me, we learned a lot about our backend stuff and, you know, getting our hands deep into there and like actually computing and trying to come up with these queries. Well, I don't know how you feel Bogdan, but yeah, I feel like I, now I know a lot of stuff about eSQL that maybe I didn't want to know, but now I know, you know? But yeah, like uh, we had this incident past week about performance and it was scary because essentially one of the queries we used to calculate one of the new metrics is quite expensive and our ClickHouse database started like slowing down a lot and, you know, a lot of our responses were failing. This incident only lasted for like 20 minutes or 15 minutes. It was short, thankfully. But yeah, as soon as that started happening, we started looking into how we can optimize this, these queries and that was another learning experience like sitting down seeing how to optimize this making a plan and then executing on that to make sure you know that doesn't happen again yeah i'm curious Vogelin, how do you also feel about the, the backend stuff we had to do it felt scary to me to be honest like 
redefining and doing this metrics when we barely SQL knowledge at the beginning, it felt really scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as a front-end engineer, I have to be scared of SQL queries, right? So yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, trying to understand ClickHouse and all the concepts that go beyond SQL, it, it was a, a big endeavor. It was a t- also a fun one, pairing and uh, yeah, trying to come up with the, the SQL stuff for those metrics. But like you said, I mean, of course things yeah could be optimized even further uh, and i'm sure yeah we're gonna perfect the the queries in the future and uh, yeah hopefully we won't have any performance issues with clickhouse yeah we, we had already done some performance improvements i recall victor you had already done some iterations after we had released the first public offering but i guess we we're a victim of our own success right people were using it <laughs> and uh, and that was causing issues but i think also in that particular instance right we had like a doubling of our traffic yeah like ir- irrespective of these other queries that were more expensive there was a doubling of traffic and so that plus these more expensive queries that we hadn't yet optimized kind of cost these these issues. But yeah, it's, it's scary, right? It's it's always scary making changes to production, but I think we did quite well. So congratulations to everyone involved. Actually, I would just add that it sure didn't feel like working with two front-end engineers. It felt like uh, working with like really back-end engineers, to be honest, like two-in-one, <laughs> at least from my side. You don't know I mean, see front-end engineers uh, playing with SQL and trying to cal- figure out how to make a calculation so complex as, uh, as uh, Max cash rate. So yeah, kudos for that, definitely. Yeah, and, and Camille's not given here like our definition for the cache rate, maximum cache rate SQL query. It's like a really long query. It's like, a, I don't know, like 300, 200 characters easily. It's like a really, really long and complicated query to get the right number. Yeah, and coming up with that was like a lot of pairing between Bogdan and me and, you know, just sitting down, testing these, going back to the math. Like we have like a lot of TL draw whiteboards floating around with a lot of math and Actually, one of our engineers, Thomas, he has a math degree. So every time we were doing one of these formulas, we were like, hey, Thomas, can you double check our math? Because we actually wanted to get sure we were getting our math right. Because we something we also learned early is that getting the math wrong is costly. Uh, because <laughs> at the beginning, one of our formulas was wrong and one of our customers was like, hey, this data seems a little bit wrong. Then we noticed that and we're like, oh, crap, yeah, this formula is not the right one. And it's hard to notice that at times because... You're working on the formula, it makes sense in your head, you you know, you code the formula in SQL or something, you set it live and, you know, data is flowing through and you don't notice because maybe in some services you don't have enough data, but then when you go to a service that has like, I don't know, 10 or 20 million requests a day, then, you know, the, the data gets into perspective and then the numbers don't add up. So yeah, it's tricky to get in the math right for these metrics. Yeah, that kind of touches on, we also redefined what it means to have a cache hit rate. What is the definition of a cache hit rate? That is a side quest. We can go on very shortly. But before we do that, I think one of the, the things that stood out to me as well is not only do we do a lot of math, but we also had Figma presentations of our math. Like Camille would do these designs where you would show the, the equations and you would show what that would look like in the in the dashboard, right? So you can kind of try to understand, okay, if we make this change, what does that look like and with actual numbers, with an actual dashboard? And uh, yeah, it was just very polished. And <laughs> I just thought it was amazing to see because math in my head is normally something you write down on a piece of paper and throw away, right? And so it's really fun. And a fun fact that those beautiful design formulas in Figma, those were the source of truth at the end for me. At least like I was going back there, looking at the formula and then validating that with the SQL version. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I mean, as I said, we kind of redefined what a cache hit rate means, right? During this project. How did that come about? I mean, that's such a central question to kind of revisit for a project like this. 
this came at a point where we realized our, our max cash hit, maximum cash hit rate and the cash hit rate metrics, both of these didn't, were not adding up. So because we, were, we started noticing that the, in some scenarios, the max cash hit rate was lower than the cash hit rate. And that doesn't make sense, right? Like how is the maximum lower than the actual cash hit rate value? And so when we revisited the formulas, we noticed they were operating in different data sets. So we were like, oh, okay, this is, you know, it makes sense. If, if these percentages are operating in different data sets, they are never going to add up. It doesn't make sense to compare these two numbers that are operating in different sets of data. So we had to sit down and refine those metrics to operate on a similar data set. And, you know, coming up with this was like a, a lot of work and a lot of product and design work. I, I don't know if you remember Alex, but we had like a lot of conversations and we were like on the verge of like, do we go with this definition? Do we go with this one? At that point, to be honest, I was glad Alex joined the product because like he, he brought like a lot of product insights, a lot of product knowledge to like help make this decision. And I remember being in the room and, and telling Alex and Camille, like, I don't want the product lead, but I don't feel comfortable making this decision because, you know, like we are like redefining the cash rate. It felt like wrong at, at some point to do that because it's like this metric has been like that for a while. And if you look at the industry definition for this metric, is this this one that is it is the one that we are using. And now it's like, you know, it, it felt like a huge change, like a huge change that could go wrong. But yeah, it didn't add up. It didn't add up going wrong at, going wrong at the end. But yeah, it felt really scary. Uh, Alex, I don't know if you remember those conversations we had about actually choosing the right definition for cash hit rate. With the cash hit rate, it was quite interesting. Like, And it was roughly like when just when I joined the, the project. And I think the question, right, was like there's a definition out there about like what other services use for cash hit rate. There's like our definition that we had. And we needed to like figure out like what is the intent behind this? Like how do we want the user or customer to use the cash hit rate in conjunction with the maximum cash hit rate. Like what should they be able to like tell, infer from that? And what would then be the best calculation to help them understand, like in that case, concretely, like help them understand, like what is the current state of the cash coverage with the cash hit rate? Like how much room do they have for improvement? And the cash hit rate defined like the current state, right? And then the maximum was the ceiling that could be reached. And we need to figure out a way to uh, most accurately represented so that they can also then tell like which of the operations would have the biggest impact if we improve that. One thing I found actually quite interesting is, you know, just figuring out that like, what does it mean for us? Like we, in the end, we included like that the hits and then like we, we, we divided that by all the hits, all the misses and all the cash bill passes and figuring out like, should we include the cash bill passes in that? Or should we go with like some other industry definitions that we have seen and making that decision was basically would also mean for us, we switched from like the hits divided by hits and misses to like the one that has like um, the higher, the, the, the bigger data set, meaning that for a lot of our customers, the cash hit rate dropped for some from like 80% to like 20%. And so like there was this like big impact to the customer and we need to figure as part of like making a decision, we need to be okay with that, of course. And we... We are okay with that because it's more accurately representing the state and what they can, what they can do and how they can, how much room they have for improvement. But it also mean, meant that we need to figure out like, how do we communicate with the customers? How do we engage with them early enough so that they're not surprised by that or think like something went wrong with our setup that is causing this to drop? So we spent quite some time on like figuring out what's the right way to communicate that. How can we annotate this within the UI interface that this is um, now changing to be as transparent upfront with our customers as possible here? Yeah, I think those drops were quite significant. Like there are customers, like services that had like 50% cash hit rate dropping down to 20 or 30%, right? Simply because we're defining it slightly differently. So that could feel very scary. It's definitely worth considering how to make that feel 
<laughs> less scary, understandable, not like a, a disappointment. Yeah, and the most important thing here, right, was that the customer just that they won't believe or think that it was something that they did wrong, like a schema change that caused the drop, or a configuration change that suddenly caused the drop, and that we wanted to be very transparent about that and upfront. Now that you talked about schema changes and config changes, Bogdan recently released the kind of last iteration, which are these vertical markers on all the graphs. Uh, Bogdan, do you want to tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, in the previously discussed caching page on the chart where you see the cache rate over time, we pinpoint with some markers when there has been a config change. So that looking at the chart, you can easily trace if something in your config update impacted in a good way or in a bad way, your cache hit rate. Yeah, now it's more easy to track. I mean, where we had that data in the overview of page in the service history, but it was much harder to pinpoint a config change with a change in the cache hit rate. Yeah, I think it's one of those cool features that makes it feel like a cohesive product. You know, it, it like it's that extra mile where it's like suddenly it feels like, oh, you're surfacing like insight. You know, you're not just showing me data, you're also helping me understand the data, right? So I think it's, it's a really nice addition. Yeah, one thing that we haven't talked about um, so far is the, the second milestone, the, the work that we did on uh, bringing the clarity to how oh, uh, yeah, cash, right. cash rules that are set in your config are actually yeah, affecting yeah, your yeah. operations That's and requests. Um, we went into two directions here. We actually clarify exactly how a particular request was cached, um, going quite deep into understanding how multiple rules are conveying to cache the request. Yeah, the best person to, to continue with it is uh, to, to explain how we actually managed to overlay the cache rules configuration onto the operations, probably Victor, so you can maybe bring us closer to how we managed to get, accomplish that. Yeah, sure. So at some point, you know, we wanted to surface this because customers were giving us feedback that, you know, they changed their configuration and now they, you know, they go to the dashboard and they see the analytics and they see like, oh, this was a hit, this was a miss, this was a pass. But they didn't have a direct connection from that caching reason, that caching status to a reason like, oh, this is a hit. But why is this request a hit? They had to manually go and look at, oh, this is the query that we're getting. So I have a caching rule for this type. And that's the reason why it's a hit. So they had to do all of this manually. And that's a lot of cognitive overhead, right? Being aware of that and de debugging your cache was a little bit hard, I would say. So we noticed it, we went to the drawing board. We like, were ideating on how to surface caching rules. Camille did a lot of iteration with the designs to make sure we were showing this in the best possible way because essentially, as he said, when multiple rules are applying to a request, that's complicated. Like, how do we show that? How do we show what's the rule that's actually applying the max age, that's applying the scopes that are applying? There's a lot of complexity in showing that in a meaningful way and in a simple way that's easy to understand. So I would say kudos to Camille for actually coming up with an amazing design there. And on the implementation side, it's like a we, we had to like sit down and actually see how do we store these caching rules. Now that we're storing like, you know, billions of requests every month, how do we relate one of those requests to a caching rule? So we considered multiple approaches. At the end, we were able to compute this on the fly with storing any new data, which was amazing. It was like the most simple solution we came, we could came up with. And then it was about rendering those rules in the UI. And yeah, it was a fun one. And essentially what we're enabling for a product perspective is that now as a user, when you're looking at, at a request, you can figure out easily like, oh, this request wasn't cached because I have a rule that says the max age to zero, which means that it won't be ever cached. So you can actually figure out things really quickly and adjust your config accordingly and iterate. Yeah. Like I remember when I joined the project, it was, I think, just right before Mycin 2. And I was like, okay, 
in order to, to participate here effectively, I need to figure out like what's the state and what is the problem, what is difficult to do. And I was like, I will go in now into Stellet and try to figure out how I might be able to improve the cache hit rate of one of our services. Yeah, so like my goal was to figure out like how to actually like improve a cache hit rate of a service. And so that I can figure out like what are our customers going through it and I can give um guidance and input into the project. And it was just right before MySon 2 shipped. So like I went in on the service on the operations, on the requests, and this operation I would like to improve. I clicked on it, I clicked on the request, and stuck. Like I could not figure out like what should I, what I'm supposed to do here. What do I learn? What what information do should I consume to figure out like how to change the rules, right? And then once Milestone 2 shipped, it was day and night. Suddenly I could see like, okay, here's one rule that is overriding, like a more generic rule is overriding my specific rule that I created and with a short invalidation, short invalidation settings. Or there was one rule and one operation that was like set to max H0. And like immediately after Milestone 2 shipped, you could tell even though like quite new into the, the project of like, here is actually what you can do as a user to optimize your cache hit rate. And it was such a drastic difference in like before and after. It was beautiful to see. Kudos to, to the team on like figuring that out. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. Uh, I remember your excited Slack messages. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess it's also a case of, you know, it's very difficult when you work on a product every single day to have empathy for what it's like to look at it the first time, right? But that's essentially what our new customers are doing, right? They come to our website, they sign up, and then they're like, all right, I need to suddenly understand what this thing does. That's a really hard challenge, right? And especially for us, because we look at it all day, how do we remember what that's like, right? That's really hard. And so sometimes it's helpful, you know, you came in as a new product manager and uh, and you had those fresh eyes, right? And so it was really cool to see you be excited about <laughs> the, the second milestone. Yeah, great catch, Camille. Thank you for that. Yeah, this project has truly been very impactful. Uh, it's been really cool to see through customers getting to us and saying it's awesome or Alex being dumbfounded by how awesome Milestone 2 is. There's been so many cool points along the way of shipping something and seeing customers be excited about it. And so it was wonderful to go through all the memories and uh, have, a, have a bit of a story session with you guys. I very much appreciate it. I hope you guys appreciate it. And hopefully the, the listeners also appreciate it. Yeah, but I think uh, that's a wrap. I think we've we've covered most of the topics. There's nothing outstanding. And so uh, thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you for the, spending the time with me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at work tomorrow. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.